What's up, everybody? This is Stick to Football, Bleacher Reports, college football and NFL draft podcast. This is Matt Miller, your host. Joined as always on Wednesday mornings by my man, Connor Rogers. And Connor, I'm going to have to flip that around. College football regular season's over. It's draft season, baby. This is an NFL draft podcast, at least until we get to some bowl games, which is going to be a couple weeks before we get to any any major ones, but I'm excited. Last week, we fixed the San Francisco 49ers. This week, we're going across the bay. We're going to fix those Oakland Raiders. That's right, man. I can't wait. And one of our best listeners of the podcast, Wyatt, hit me up and said, listen, the Browns have been the baby of sick to football for the last couple of years, and now the torch is being passed to the Raiders. I know that's not necessarily what Raiders fans want to hear, but it's the truth. It's a matter of fact right now. When you look at Gruden going to the Sarah, Reggie McKenzie, kind of a mix of being fired and stepping away, right, Matt? Like, when you look at this, he was going to be let go at the end of the season. He steps away now. It's official. We're going to talk about the Raiders on a, a lot on this show because we're going to do the fixing segment, and we're going to do a deep dive of who these GM candidates are, who could work with John Gruden, whether it will really be a GM or just a personnel guy yeah. working under Gruden, making the picks, the free agency calls. This is a gigantic offseason for the Oakland, soon-to-be Vegas Raiders and that time really starts now to talk about what they're going to be doing. That uh, We have AP All-Americans across college football, so not completely ditching it just yet, but it, it really is draft season. This is our favorite time of the year. This is the time of year that we feel like we really own the coverage for. We're going to have prospects on the show more and more, so you guys get to know them throughout that process. Uh, Matt Campbell signs an Iowa State extension. I don't know if that means he's officially entrenched in the college ranks or if he still might consider the NFL but nonetheless, a lot of interesting happenings going on, and it's not even January yet. Yeah, it's not. And let's start with Reggie McKenzie. We are going to fix the Raiders, and we'll get to that uh, in, in the second segment. But uh, I think it's important to talk about this news, like you said, um, and we'll, we'll kind of dissect this differently. The Reggie McKenzie news and then how we would go about fixing this team are, I know it might sound weird, but those are two separate things. So the news of Reggie McKenzie being fired I, I mean, you guys, if you listen to this show three times a week, and hopefully you do, you've been hearing me say this since I believe June. I went on a couple of work trips in uh, in June to work on some stories, and that was around the time I started hearing that they were going to try to trade Khalil Mack and that Reggie McKenzie was going to be set up as the fall guy. And I, I told you guys on the show, this is what I'm hearing. It might sound crazy, but I think this is going to happen. Well, guess what? Khalil Mack got traded and now Reggie McKenzie is gone. And I, I think the important thing to talk about here, Connor, is like you you phrased it for a team to for the Raiders to hire. Uh, we'll just say Ed Dodds. He is the assistant GM with the Indianapolis Colts. One of the best scouts in football. Great option. I don't know that he's their guy, but let's say he is for the Raiders to hire him. It can't be a lateral move. Otherwise, the Colts have to give him permission. So this job will be listed as a general manager job or should be or some type of president, a player personnel, president of football operations. It will have to be a job where these guys like an Ed Dodds or um, uh, Alex Marvez linked Brian Heimerdinger from the Jets. He's uh, the VP of player personnel like guys like that. The job has to be an upgrade in title for them to be able to interview and and eventually take it. So this could end up being a lot like Kansas City where. Everyone knows how involved Andy Reid is in the day-to-day there, but Brett Veach is the general manager. He has that. Andy probably has say over personnel, but Brett is still the GM. I think that's how it's going to be in Oakland where Gruden has control over the roster, but he's going to bring in someone. And I've heard 
the word young mentioned a lot from sources out there. They want a young guy who's going to be energetic, who's going to be creative, and that can really spark what Gruden wants to do there. And and as I think we're going to see, he's going to want to open that offense up more, probably going to look for someone who can be that, you know, have that creative thinking of, okay, we want an LA Rams, a Chiefs type offense. Let's go get those types of players. Not someone who's maybe stuck in, not to say Reggie McKenzie's outdated, but someone who's stuck in the way football was, you know, 10 years ago, which is a lot different than it is today. Yeah, without a doubt. And I think that candidate list is going to be really interesting, Matt. When you look at it, you have Ian Rapport of NFL Network coming out and saying someone like Bruce Allen from Washington or Mark Dominic, who was the uh, Buccaneers GM a while ago, or, or Jimmy Ray from the Lions. Those are older guys, older names. Uh, I, I use the word established, I guess, in a sense that they've handled that kind of role before. I don't know if that's the direction to go. Maybe those guys would be willing to take the job and willing to happily work with John Gruden. I look at this position and say, if Gruden is going to give those guys a chance, he can't just overrule them. You can't just take someone's evaluations and make, okay, well, this is what I think. Whoever goes there needs power to actually make personnel decisions because what we saw in the first draft, and I know we, uh, what does Melo say? Feed this like a, a fed horse. Yeah, feed it like a fed horse. <laughs> feed it like a fed horse. It was not good. I don't know how else to say it. Maurice Hurst was a really nice pick. It, I mean, it, it turned out to be a really nice pick. We were on short medicals, but there was a lot of other question marks across that draft. They need a young guy to get in there and get Gruden his personnel. I don't know if an Elliot Wolf or an Ed Dodds or, you know, somebody you brought up, I read in your articles before, Mike Borgonzi from the Chiefs. If yeah. guys like that would be willing to take this job, like you said, Marvez connected Brian Heimerdinger from the Jets. He's another really young guy. I mean, if you look at him and Elliot Wolf are in like their mid young 30s in, for the positions that they have, I think that's the direction they go. What is your gut feeling on this entire situation when you look at the candidates list? Yeah, it's funny that a lot of those candidates are guys who are connected to some of the Raiders rivals, you know, and I, I think Elliot Wolf is a really interesting name right now. He is, uh, I believe, the co-VP or, or maybe he's the single VP now in Cleveland. They've obviously done a great job turning that roster over. He's the assistant GM, excuse me. And he is someone that a lot of people thought might get the GM job in Green Bay when Ted Thompson retired or was let go. The, the connection there with his dad, Ron Wolf having a connection to the Raiders, I think makes it very intriguing for a lot of teams. You would be like, ah, why does this matter? But for the Raiders, they are so big on tradition and it's almost like, it's almost like Michigan. You know, you got to hire a Michigan man. I feel like with the Raiders right now, it's all about, you got to go get a Raiders kind of guy. I can see Elliot Wolf being a great partner for that. One thing that like this goes on behind the scenes that a lot that a lot of you guys listening might not care about this stuff, but it's fascinating to me. So much of it is almost like mob-like territorial when you talk about the agents who run football behind the scenes. Yes. So um, there have been reports that, that John Gruden doesn't like Joel Siegel players because Khalil Mack and Amari Cooper are Joel Siegel guys. And because of who John Gruden's agent is, they're maybe going to go after guys who he would share an agent with. And I, I think that maybe that seems like that's like, why, why would you guys do that? But Bob Lamont, John Gruden's agent is the power broker of the NFL behind the scenes. I mean, this dude is nicknamed the Godfather for a reason. So we're going to probably see a lot of Bob Lamont clients get recommended to John Gruden for this job. 
it's not saying the best guy won't get it. If, if Ed Dodds isn't a Bob Lamont client, and I actually think he might be, then, you know, he's still going to get considered. And the same for Mike Borgonzi, the same for uh, Elliot Wolf, the same for Heimerdinger, the same for all these good young uh, evaluators that could come in and spark this franchise. But I will be surprised if whenever this job gets filled, if it's not a Bob Lamont client, I'm going to be pretty surprised if that happens. Yeah, and just to kind of back that up there, another name that I, I do want to give Tom Pelissero credit first because he said it before me, but another name that's being attached to this that I, I've heard as well is Chris Polian. You know, from yeah. now with the Jaguars, former Colts GM, I'm not super high <laughs> on the potential no. of that at all. But it's such an old boys club. Oh my god. Exactly. And but I'm just saying to prepare Raiders fans, that's another high possibility. So when you look at it, it's gonna be fascinating to see the direction they go and how much power this person gets. And if they do try to make this a position that is not high up enough, that teams might block it. Now the risk of teams blocking it is that it can upset their employee if they do want to make the move. But at the end of the day, we've seen teams block interviews before. Right. Yeah, it is going to be fascinating to see what happens. I, I've heard all along this is one of those jobs that the top guys might not want. And so that that could be like if Ed Dodds really feels like he's ready to be a GM. And I'd, I'd heard even when he was in Seattle, it might not be something he's really interested in. He doesn't want to deal with the politics of it. He might hold out for a better opening than this one because there is still an expectation. We could see Arizona open up. We could see Tampa Bay open. Miami could open. There could be a lot of other jobs out there where you don't have the owner uh, who's uh, not highly respected in NFL circles. You don't have the impending move. You don't have a, a head coach who has roster control. So there's a lot going on there just in the front office side of things with Oakland. And we'll get to how we would fix this team through free agency in the draft here in just a moment. But I want to move on to something Gil Brandt tweeted. As you know, I, I have so much respect for Gil Brandt. He's one of the guys that makes a job like this possible uh, where we on the outside look in and evaluate players and, and predict things. So uh, nothing but respect for him. He sends this tweet out uh, after the Heisman Trophy ceremony. As far as two other high-profile undecided quarterbacks go, I'm hearing Dwayne Haskins is heavily leaning toward entering the draft. He's a very hot name in scouting circles moving up quickly. And then he adds this nugget. No matter what Scott Boris says, I'm not convinced Kyler Murray's pro football dreams are over. That's the bombshell. bombshell. And, and then and he, he tweets this over the fact he said that he's not convinced Justin Herbert will go back to Oregon. So three big nuggets from Gil Brandt, who is as plugged in as anyone. I mean, he works for the NFL. This guy is very plugged in. And if he says, hey, there's a chance Justin Herbert's going to come out and be a top five pick. We all better pay attention because he is as connected as anyone. And I, I think with with Justin Herbert, we can take these one by one. Something that I, I even wrote this last week. I put Justin Herbert in the in my mock draft that came out last week. And I said that it's easy to sit in Eugene, Oregon and say, man, I really like it here. I'm going to stay. But then agents start talking to you. Scouts start talking to you. It's going to get around to Justin Herbert. Hey, man, you could be a top five pick this year. Next year, probably going to have a little more competition. It's very similar to what happened to Mitch Trubisky. He was influenced, and I think wisely so. Hey, come out this year. It's a much better class for you to compete with. You're probably going to be the first quarterback drafted. He was. Now he's in a great situation leading the NFC North in Chicago. I think Justin Herbert could be a very similar deal. 
I think so. Too. I think he'd be insane to not consider it. That's what I'll say. And it's something I've uh, it's a caveat I've said while discussing Justin Herbert the entire year. Everyone in Oregon, including the coaching staff, believes he's returning to school at the end of the day, Matt, when that draft advisory board grade comes back and whatever they send it on carrier pigeon, I don't <laughs> fucking know telegram. <laughs> and it says first round pick or top 10. Do they get into specific? You would know this better no. than me. Do they get it's the specifics or just round one? First round pick, second round pick, go They're, back to school. Oh, okay. That I did know they go back to school comes a little early. Yeah. Okay. I mean, at some point you got to, And also, what does it say about him? Right? Like, you right. don't have it in you to go to the NFL and make millions of dollars and go lead a team, which I, scouts are wondering it. Just saying. When it comes down to it, I, I think it's fascinating. If this draft class goes from Daniel Jones and Drew Locke and Jarrett Stidham to Justin Herbert, Dwayne Haskins, and Kyler Murray, it's going to get real interesting real fast. I, I think the Giants, Jacksonville, Tampa, Washington, Denver, all those teams might have a first-round rookie quarterback, or, or three of the five might have a first-round rookie quarterback on their roster next year. Yeah, I think so, too. And on the Kyler Murray note, um, Scott Boris would know. And as a Royals fan, I'll tell you that Scott Boris is one of the best in the world at manipulating information to get what he wants. Yeah, and shitting so, on my Mets all the time. Uh, yeah, he's great at it. So I, I think it's really interesting um, that, that this would come out, and you're like, ooh, well... Maybe there is something to this. Maybe, you know, maybe Scott, if Scott Boris says, hey, the guy's playing baseball, we've already decided. I don't know what he has to gain by saying that, right? Like, so to me, it's it's interesting that, that Gil would come out and say, oh, well, he could still play football. And he could. This could end up a situation where, you know, if he doesn't take to baseball like a lot of people think he will immediately, then football is always an option down the road. But I will I will just say, everything I've heard is that this dude will be playing baseball and that it really wasn't, you know, like a, a hard decision for him. That was of course, last summer, things are a little bit different now that he's won a Heisman trophy and, and really dominated the college football landscape while seeing a former teammate Baker Mayfield tear up the NFL. Totally. And I think when it comes down to it, it's another player where if he doesn't get that first round advisory back, I don't really think it even becomes an internal debate for him and his family. I think you go play baseball, you take your four and a half million dollars, you develop as a hitter. Cause this is a player that his first year at Oklahoma really struggled to hit second year, hit like two ninety six, which at the college level, Matt is not, it's not first not round. Great. It's not first round pick impressive. It's not, but there are a lot of people way smarter, actual baseball people that believe if he fully commits to baseball, he has all the talent in the world to be an all-star caliber center fielder. So when it comes down to it, the Kyler Murray situation is fascinating. I am a firm believer that where there is smoke, there is often fire. And when it comes to Kyler, I don't think this, I don't think his mind's made up yet. I do think it's more of a 75 25 thing where football is lingering. I think he'd love to play both in this world. That's not possible. It's just not a thing. I'm sorry. Especially the yeah. demands of playing the quarterback position for a guy that's five foot 10. And I, I don't want to sit here and write him off because I love Kyler Murray. I think. On this show, I, I'm the biggest Kyler Murray fan for obvious reasons. Yeah, a little bit. But at the end of the day, this is still a player that really, really needs to work at the quarterback position. It, quarterback is not a part-time job. I, I think, uh, speaking of Dwayne Haskins, his quarterback trainer, Quincy Avery, he always says, like, when you're a quarterback, you that's your that's it. That's your life. It's your, your job. It's yeah. your job. You're committing to it from 
hopefully an early age where you just develop throughout. So this class is just, it's fascinating because I, I don't think we expected to reach this point, but here we are where there actually is some intrigue from the signal callers. Yeah, there really is. And and I will say this, I could totally see this being a leverage play. Like, why not try to get the A's to give him some more money by being like, you know totally. what? I go play football. I, I mean, I, I know I said earlier, like, ah, maybe it doesn't make sense to come out and say this. In that regard, it might. Like, why not? Why not try it and see if, if you can get more guaranteed money or more money from the A's to, and, and you know, hey, I could go play football. But I, I completely agree with you. This is not the 90s where a guy could play both. And I know everybody wants to say it's Bo Jackson. Could I remind everyone right now that Bo Jackson's body completely broke down? Maybe it had something to do with the fact that he was playing two sports. Like just maybe that actually plays into things. So I, I think that like it's a cool story. I mean, hell of a college football player. I, I don't know how well it translates to the NFL. I personally don't think he would be a first-round pick, um, but but maybe a second or third rounder. Yeah, I think so too. Somebody will take the chance to develop him, but I, you do make a great point. Bo Jackson was uh, probably the most impressive-looking <laughs> human being from an athletic standpoint uh, that we've ever seen. So, all right, just keeping it moving here. Uh, we are going to have a lot of time to fix the Raiders today, but before we jump into that, Matt Campbell signs an Iowa State extension. And if you've listened to this show, starting with Matt, and eventually it completely rubbed off on me where I couldn't stop talking about <laughs> the guy for the Jets, it, Matt Campbell was a hot NFL name. I would argue a favorite or one of the favorites for the Cleveland Browns job. I think he would have had multiple interviews. Matt, please explain to me as a fan of a football team that needs a head coach or will need one very shortly. How does this extension affect Matt Campbell's potential NFL candidacy? So here's the thing. I have not seen any reports and it's been about two days since that news came out. I've not seen one report, Connor, that said, his buyout increased or this changes the buyout. Mm. A college football coach can sign an extension today and leave tomorrow. This, this news. Yes. They extended him to 2024. It's all about giving his assistants more money, which they definitely deserve good on Matt Campbell to use his position, to use his leverage, to get his guys more money. It, unless this changes the buyout, then I don't think it actually matters. I think it's a lot of just smoke and it's probably Iowa state trying to, you know, give themselves some confidence that that maybe he could stick around. His buyout is $7 million. That's not that much. It's really $7 not. million to an NFL team? Come on. Woody Johnson doesn't care about $7 million. If this is the not. guy the Jets want, the Green Bay Packers, they could just print some more of that fake stock and get $7 million today if they need it. I'm not worried about it. I do know that, you know, there was always a stipulation in his contract that, you know, every year if he leaves, uh, it goes down. So if he doesn't take a head coaching job this time around, next year it would be six million. The next year it would be five, and so on and so forth. I'm I'm imagining that the extension might just make that continue to go on. Um, you know, where maybe it would be seven million this year and next, then six, five, four, three, two, one. But seven million dollars, if this is the guy you want, I would not worry about that. And once once this deal signed, and I'm sure it is, his assistants make that money regardless now. So it's a great move by Campbell because there is a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of want for him out there. And if he does leave, he just took care of his guys, which is a, a hell of a thing to do. Then I'll leave it at this. I have a plan. I just need some money. <laughs> it is time 
to fix the Raiders. All right, Matt, we got a <laughs> lot of draft picks to make. I've had way too much caffeine this morning. Uh, a lot of draft picks to make. This is a team that felt blowing it up was the right route as they enter year. Well, they will be entering year number two of 10 for Mr. John Gruden. It still shocks me when I say that year two of 10. They right now are slated to pick third overall, 24th overall, and 26th overall, just in the first round, just in the first round, sitting at number three, which is not what they want to hear. You want to be here. You want number one. You want Nick Bosa. We wish this, this could be easier for you. It's not. What do you do at number three, Matt? It's so difficult. And you're right. I, I Every time I write a mock draft, I'm like, can I just, is there any way? But there's no way Nick Bosa is going to fall to that number three spot. So I, I think as we've said all along, where is this draft deep? It's it's deep on defense. And I know that they need offensive playmakers. They need them badly. There's not a guy out there that I would draft at number three overall to play offense. So if you need, if they're set on outside pass rush, because as we talked about in the opening, we both really like Maurice Hurst. And hopefully the heart condition is manageable and he's going to play for a hell of a long time. I like PJ Hall as well. They drafted him in the second round. They have Jonathan Hankins, uh, who is a, a just a couple of years ago, a prized free agent signing uh, by the Indianapolis Colts. So they have some guys. I think you have to look at the outside pass rush as the biggest need. If Bose is off the board, I go to my guy, Josh Allen at Kentucky, 6'5", 260. He can stand up. You can put his hand down. I, I know they have Arden Key, who is a little similar in terms of usage, maybe. If Arden Key can get up to 260 pounds, that would be an amazing, amazing feat for him. But pairing them together, I think you can put both guys on the field and have one hell of an outside pass rush. Man, I, I don't think it's crazy at all. I went a little different route. I think now I feel bad about it after you ripped off all of their interior <laughs> talent. Sorry. But it's okay. You made great points. I think Ed Oliver is a game-changing presence where if you have really good starters up front, you could still make the exception and take him here. I think he's mini Aaron Donald. He, I think he actually might be just a little bit smaller or around the same size. I love the way this guy plays football. I think he's a special interior presence in a league that values pass rush more than ever, especially from the interior, because you can't stop it. Sure, you can double team a guy with a guard and center. I, I've seen Ed Oliver destroy those double teams at the college level. I would like to see Ed Oliver in silver and black. I think it's a good consolation for Nick Bosa where... Yeah, you missed on a special edge talent, but you got a special defensive tackle who is really probably going to kick not as much nose tackle, maybe shade nose, more three tech at the next level. But when I look at this Raiders team, you lost a special talent in Khalil Mack. You lost what looks to be a pretty impressive talent. Who would have known in Amari Cooper? You got to start replenishing that. You really do. And, and you need franchise players. And when I look at Ed Oliver, to me, I don't care about the size concerns. He's an outlier. This, to me, is a franchise player at number three overall. Yeah, and then moving on to pick number 24, and then they pick again for 26. These are the picks. 24 is from Dallas. 26 is from Chicago. So they're kind of floating out there, depending on the, the playoff seedings with these teams. But I, I think two very obvious needs for this team are wide receiver to replace Amari Cooper mm -hmm. and then corner. I, I mean, Gary and Conley has shown flashes. He really he, he really has, but you still need something across from him. Right, and I liked Daryl Worley a decent amount in college, but I, I don't know that he is your building block. You know, and when you have these first-round picks, I think this is where you get aggressive and go get players that have upside and, and elite traits. 
I don't know if Byron Murphy makes it to 24 or 26 overall. If that dude's on the board, the corner from Washington, I would jump all over him just because of how technically sound he is, how he is feisty in coverage. He's quick-footed. His instincts seem very good, which is why he might not be there at either of these picks if he is. I think another corner is a perfect fit for them. And then I would dip into this wide receiver class, which you know you and I have not been super high on. I like Nikhil Harry from Arizona State in this spot. Uh, I know DK Metcalf from Ole Miss uh, could also be a fit. It sounds like he's going to be cleared from the neck injury. Uh, AJ Brown from Ole Miss. Like I would go a bigger receiver here, maybe even your guy Kelvin Harmon from from NC State. But my top receiver. Uh, who would be on the board still is Nikhil Harry from Arizona State. I think his run after catch would be a really good pairing with what Derek Carr does on the short to intermediate game. Yeah, I went a very similar route as you here. With the 24th overall pick, I'm going secondary help as well. Uh, this is just leaning on the fact that I, I tend to agree with you. I don't think Byron Murphy makes it this far. So Deontay Thompson. Now, some people might be surprised to hear that, but uh, Matt, I know you're someone who said this as well. Yeah. Deontay Thompson's probably playing at about 175, 180 pounds right now. So... For those thinking he goes in the top 10, maybe he gets that weight up and he has a good combine and finds his way there. I've heard more middle to late first round for Deontay Thompson in terms of what the NFL thinks. 24th overall, you get yourself a safety with a lot of range on the back end. I would really like to see them. They get a presence up front in Oliver, a presence on the back end in Thompson. Now with that last first round pick, I completely agree about wide receiver. Maybe it's not the best class in the world, but there's still adequate players that can help Derek Carr and John Gruden's offense. I went with A.J. Brown here. I love what he does after the catch. I don't think he's going to be, you know, some dynamite player with separation all the time. That's not who he is. If you could scheme this guy open, you can play him in the slot at times. Get the ball in his hands. Get a guy for your offense that creates yards with the ball in his hands in the open field. That, to me, is A.J. Brown. Yeah, and and would be a good fit as someone they can move around. It'll be interesting to see what cuts they make. And I, I think as we move into this early second round pick, you know, they, they could save a lot of money by letting a guy like Jordy Nelson go, who has not been that impressive this year. I think they saved $7 million by letting him go to hear Whitehead. You save $6 million letting him go. Seth Roberts is another guy. You're going to save some money by seeing him out the door. So when you swing around to pick, I, I think it'll be pick 33 or 34. This is still a pretty good draft class in that range. The Raiders have an offensive line that is, I think, good enough, especially if Colton Miller and Brandon Parker grow up on the job like they expect them to do. So when I swing back around at the top around two, I think you could find great value here in the tight end class. Irv Smith from Alabama could still be on the board. He could be a plug-and-play safety valve for Derek Carr. Could be one of your best friends. Look at the tight end position. Look what George Kittle does in San Francisco. Uh, I think Irv Smith could be a similar type guy, a Travis Kelsey type threat at tight end. So I would be all over that. Or, you know, it's a pretty sneaky need for the Oakland Raiders running back. I don't think Marshawn Lynch, even if he comes back, like the, the writing's on the wall. Sure, Jalen Richard is a nice little change of pace back, but they need a tier one running back. And you're looking at David Montgomery from Iowa State, Damian Harris from Alabama. Maybe, uh, maybe those two guys are there at the top of, of round two. Or Daryl Henderson from Memphis, a, a guy that I love and think is going to blow up throughout this process. So I wouldn't rule out running back. It might be a tiny reach on value, but if think about this. You could walk away from this draft if you just don't fuck it up. You could have five starters, three first-round picks, top around two, top around three. You could have five new starters out of this class that are going to be cheap. They're going to be athletic, 
and hopefully they're going to be healthy and can come in and play right away. Well, that should be our banner phrase for this year's Raiders offseason. <laughs> Don't fuck it up. I went a similar route as you in round two. I'm looking at tight end. I kind of want someone that's a little mean and nastier. I, I love Herb Smith in the open field and as a receiver, but I'm going TJ Hawkinson to Ooh, get them a guy it. that can block, a guy that, you know, reliable hands, good pass catcher underneath, better athlete than he's given credit for. So similar route. I think Gruden would like a guy that can help them go jumbo, help them go smash mouth and get Hawkinson right in there. And Hawkinson, I actually, I'm glad we brought him up. I have not ranked him because I have no idea if he's going to come out or not. Same. He's only a redshirt sophomore. Right. So, I mean, but at the end of the day, when you have the kind of season that he just had, you probably have to. It's interesting. I, I've brought him up at times to scouts and be like, I love this other Iowa tight end. Yeah. And they're like, what? They're like, nobody's talking about him. And I'm like, well, they better start. Like, he blocks. Nobody talks about George Kittle either. And George Kittle has transformed his game a bit. I think you could speak to that more than anyone being yeah. a guy that evaluated the player and then saw him being molded into a way better player for your favorite team. But I, when I see Hawkinson, I, I just see a riser there at the tight end position in a good class. Yeah, Kittle's thing was he was just so damn tough, you know, and and a great athlete. I think that got lost because too many people saw as an Iowa tight end. But he ran a 4.52 at 250 pounds. I mean, he was incredibly athletic. He just didn't have the numbers. He only I think he had 20 catches, uh, 22 catches his last year at, at Iowa. And you're, we're kind of seeing that with Noah Fant and TJ Hawkinson of like, man, these guys, they're almost like projects because they just don't have great numbers in that scheme. But I loved Kittle. I love Fant. I love Hawkinson. I think that's a great way to build this team. Uh, when I come around around three, and, and this will be the last uh, pick we make for them because day two just or day three, excuse me, just becomes a mess. So I have filled a need at edge rusher, corner, wide receiver, and running back. I, I think they have to get a little bit more athletic and a little better at linebacker. I would love TJ Edwards from Wisconsin if he's there in round three. I think he could be at the top of round three. Get someone who can run and chase in the middle of the field who does give you. It's just that you need an athletic upgrade at the linebacker position. Um, they don't have one guy at the linebacker spot where I'm like, damn, that dude scares me a little bit, which is why, honestly, if they took Devin White in the first round at pick three and then tried to get a pass rusher like Cleveland Farrell at 24 and then just bumped down their needs, that wouldn't shock me because they have a huge, huge hole in the middle of this defense. And they have for a long time. They tried drafting Carl Joseph to cover tight ends. You know, they try bringing in guys like Navarro Bowman and Derek Johnson, who are unfortunately uh, over the hill by the time they brought them in. But the middle of the Raiders defense it has just been categorically weak for years. They have to address it. This might be the season to do that. I mean, like you said, Dante Thompson would help. I still think they need somebody who's just a badass in the middle of the defense. Yeah, I, I don't think that's crazy at all. Devin White is fascinating. When you talk about the round one conversation for the Raiders, Maybe they just go full trader mode and trade out of that pick, uh, you know, and keep moving and getting more and more picks and still get Devin White in the top eight or 10 picks. Free agency, an underrated, fascinating group here because they have so many players that can be cut with no dead money. I'm yeah. going to throw a name and the number at you, Matt, and I want you to say staying or going. It could be your opinion. It could be what you think they do. I don't care. Kaleche Osameli. I still think a good player, good interior O-line presence. He can be cut, no dead money, over $10 million in cap savings. Staying or oh going. Oh, my God. It's a lot of money, but he's a good player. 
I would keep him. Me too. I, I would keep him. Yeah. Okay. I, money, I'm fully with you there. This one, I, I don't think it's very hard. Jordy Nelson can be cut. No dead gone. money. Over. You can, tell me, <laughs> you can tell me it saves $5. I wouldn't care. He's gone. <laughs> well, it saves over $7 million. Over $7 million. Yeah. So that was easy. Another interesting one, a guy I definitely would not cut, but would save you exactly $7 million, No dead money. That, nice job structuring these contracts, Reggie. On your way out, it's your swan song. Gabe Jackson. Oh, I would keep him no yep. matter what. Like I like that could be the identity of this team. You have Rodney Hudson, uh, Osimile, and Gabe Jackson. Like you have three of the best players at their positions. Like that could be the identity of this team. And and Derek Carr, God love him, is not the kind of guy that you want taking a lot of shots. He has been even if he hasn't missed a lot of games, he has been so banged up in his career. I think they need to to retool around the interior O line, a power run game. A great like build up a just kick ass defense, play to the run game, and then you got play action all day with Derek Carr. That's how I would scheme this team. Last one, and this is interesting because it goes back to our wide receiver talk. Seth Roberts, you could save almost five million with no dead money. Do you just keep him and try to have as much depth at the position as possible? Well, maybe. I think five million is a lot for him. It's the only thing, like for the caliber of player you're getting. Um, you know, he's 29 years old, I think. So, or will be 29 years old. I think that I would probably get rid of him and look to either restructure that and get it lower, or just fill that need with a, a kind of a bargain free agent. That I, I know one thing we've said before: this is a tough year because the free agent class is just not very good. And Seth Roberts isn't a bad player, but I think you could get someone to fill that role at a, a lower cost. And it would be different if they were up against the cap, but they're not. They have $80 million to spend. So I, I think you can make an argument to keep someone like that who you, you like in the scheme and he's not super expensive. Now, if they go into this offseason knowing they're not picking number one and they're out of the Nick Bosa conversation, do you think they spend that money on, on one of these pass rushers in free agency, whether it is a... Dante Fowler, D Ford. I mean, I think Anthony Barr will even be talked about as more of an edge player in the free agency yeah. class with his struggles at off ball linebacker. Is that a pivot of a strategy they can make? Or do you think they stay away from spending big money there? You know, I, I think it'll be interesting to see who they bring in, you know, the, as their yeah, front office guy. If, a, if they bring in an Ed Dodds, it might like Ed likes to draft players. He might say, give me all the picks and, and we'll go find a guy and, instead of paying someone and, and getting your salary cap, you know, tied up. At, I mean, they're going to have to pay someone. There's a there's a cap floor they're going to have to pay. But I don't know if this is the year where you go after like, you know, Demarcus Lawrence is probably staying in Dallas, and he's already 27 years old. So you know, would you go after Dante Fowler, who has he's looked good in L.A. but did not look good in Jacksonville? And so I think I would worry about is he going to have the same production when he doesn't have Sue and Brockers and Aaron Donald playing totally. beside him? So. I would probably feel better about drafting at those positions, but there's no reason they can't double dip and do both. You know, that you couldn't sign Dante Fowler or D Ford and draft a player at three or 24, 26, whatever it might be. I think one of the interesting arguments would be, and I know it's like, I've always said, you don't create a hole to fill a hole, but Jadavian Clowney is going to be a free agent and he, I'm sure he's going to get franchise tagged, but man, it'd be amazing if you could give up, 26 for Jadavian Clowney or 26 and 24 for Jadavian Clowney. And you're, you're getting more picks next year from the bears. They do have to give up a two, but you're going to have two first round picks next year as well. I, I I'm not saying they should do this, but 
depending on who this new personnel guy is, I could see that being the line of thinking of, you know, maybe we get someone who can a slam dunk to fill that role because this draft is not thought to be very good. I mean, Bosa is the clear cut number one. There's a huge gap between he and Quinn and Williams, and then probably another big gap between the next tier of guys. So if they evaluate this class to not be very good, I could see some movement with those picks. One last potential free agent that it feels like no one's really talking about. He's having a career year, probably going to get franchise tagged, but you never know. Frank Clark in Seattle. He's got 11 sacks now, Matt. Now, you know, obviously had a history coming out of college of domestic violence, something that I know, you know, he's worked hard on improving since he's been in the league, trying to stay out of trouble. But you look at this now is second year in the NFL, 10 sacks, his third year, nine. His fourth year, now in a contract year, already 11 through 13 games. If Seattle doesn't pay him, I think he's going to also make a lot of money on this market. I think so, too. He was a first-round player uh, yeah, at Michigan Totally, if he had just not gotten into trouble, and and he did. So it'll be interesting to see Seattle has – I mean, I know this isn't a Seattle segment, but let's give them some credit for how they have built – rebuilt on the fly. You know, They're going to have about $60 million in cap space, so I can see Frank Clark getting locked up there, too. It is draft on draft time. We have some great ones. Connor and I are going to take turns reading so my voice can have a break. It's going to be fantastic. At Damn Supa wants to know, great question for you, Rogers. How bad did the Jets win hurt their draft pick? Can you explain the roles? Oh, second question. Can you explain the roles of assistant GMs and director of player personnel? So uh, I'll take that first there, or the second question. Yep, I'll take the, the first one then if you want. There, uh, there's not a whole lot of difference between assistant GM and player personnel. It's just like we said at the beginning of the show, it's so much about the structure so that you don't lose those pl- those guys to another job. Like if I'm the director of player personnel, really the only job I could go take somewhere is assistant GM or GM. Likewise, if I'm an assistant GM for a team, the only job I could go take is a GM. So it's more about because the NFL has a rule about you can't leave for a lateral job. You have to have a promotion to leave. So that's that's really the only difference. Uh, going back to how that hurt the Jets, I mean, here's the thing. First order of business, you want Sam Darnold to lead game-winning drives with two minutes left against a top-five defense. I, I just want to make that clear. That's what yep. you want to see from a guy that you traded three second-round picks for and your sixth, round, your sixth overall pick to move up to three to get. Like that, Those are the things where... Teams rally around that heading into next year. That's an, I I hate meaningless wins and how they kill draft stock. It's brutal, but there was something to take out of that win in terms of how it hurt the jets to answer the question. They would have been three and 10 and they would have had the advantage of strength of schedule. They would have had the weakest strength of schedule, meaning they would have been picking first overall. If we were making a mock draft this week, when you look at, yeah. So and on that, like, I mean, as a Niners fan, I was pissed when they when they beat Denver. But all the t- everyone won this week. Arizona won. Oakland won. So it's like, I mean, you're sh- just shuffling down what two spots in the order the Jets are, but everyone else won as well. So it it doesn't create the gap that it would have if the Niners had lost and the Jets had won. There'd be a two game difference. Now now it is one game with you know not very many left. So some crazy things could still happen, but. It, they, I mean, they realistically moved down two spots. Yeah, I mean, you're there, you either want the number one pick or just after that, it's like anywhere in the top. I'm with five you. Picks. I like building momentum on a young team. I, I know from a, and I'm guilty of it too. From a fan's perspective, it, you want to be picking as high as you can, but 
these that kind of win does matter. Like this team was sinking real fast, and I, I think for a 21 year old quarterback on the road in the freezing cold in Buffalo, which is not an easy place to play, there's something to take out of that win. I will say that. All right, this one from Justin Tarbell, the barbell. If you had to give it to a defensive player this year, who would it have been? Talking about the Heisman Trophy, it was Quentin Williams. I I don't think there was much of an argument. If Nick Bosa stayed healthy, I actually think he would have been legitimately in the conversation with a potentially a 14 to 15 sack kind of season. But when you look at this Heisman Trophy, Quentin Williams was the most dominant defensive player along with Josh Allen from Kentucky. I was going to say. Yeah, yeah. I, I was got just waiting. I, I was just. I knew you were chomping at the bit to get I that in. Run away with it. Take it away. Tapping on the desk. Well, he was the SEC defensive player of the year, Josh Allen, not Quentin Williams. 18 and a half tackles for a loss. 14 sacks. Four passes defense. Two forced fumbles and five fumble recoveries while being. I think he might be my favorite player in this class. I don't even know when it happened, but <laughs> I, I absolutely love Josh Allen. He would have got my vote. And I know like realistically the Heisman goes to, you know, a, a good player on a great team every year in Kentucky while having a good year. They did yeah, not win enough games to, to you know, get that kind of respect. But Josh Allen quietly had just a, a historically good year that has not been talked about enough. That's a fair point. I got another. I mean, I think <laughs> you when, you, when you, <laughs> I was just waiting for it. When it comes down to it, the reason Quinton Williams would have, and he did get a first place vote um, by somebody named Craig, but spelt C-R-E-G, which just blew my mind more than the first place vote was that there's a Craig out there, C-R-E-G, but hat tip to Craig because I like it. Get a little different with it. Quentin Williams, you can make the argument that he was the most dominant college football player in the country, and he played for an undefeated team. I think that's what matters. Yeah, the Craig Stevenson guy who gave the award to Quentin Williams, I mean, he's an Alabama beat writer. So, <laughs> uh, shock, no bias. Yeah, I, I mean, I know you're going to be surprised by that one. Uh, Travis Johnson wants to know how desirable do you realistically think the Raiders' GM job is to people around the league? Uh, it's not. It's like, it's, it's hard because it's, it's not too, great. There's like very conflicting. You don't want to work for Mark Davis and or you John might Gruden. not even want to work for John <laughs> Gruden. And you, you don't even know where you're playing next year. That's like, not great. Th- right. But you have three first round picks, one in the second, one in the third, and about $80 million to spend with some pretty easy cuts to make like Jordy Nelson that could quickly get you to 90 million. <laughs> like, Man, and here's my thing. Like, to guys who are prospective GM candidates, those jobs only come open so often. And it and your star can burn out so fast. Like, we've talked before about the guys in Seattle who not that long ago, we thought Trent Kirchner and Scott Fitterer, I mean, they were interviewing for GM jobs. Yeah. And maybe it will cycle back now that Seattle's doing well. But that went from a, a front office with three potential future general managers to, oh my God, we got to get out of here. So you have to jump at these opportunities when they come along, unless you work for the Patriots or something and you know you're going to be good forever, then you have to take these opportunities when you get them because you're one quarterback injury away from sucking and no one caring about you as a candidate anymore. As unfairly as that might seem, I think you have to jump at at these situations when they do pop up. Joshua Engler, two questions for us. First one, as currently miserable Steelers fan. All right, you don't have it that bad. Yeah, I don't right? understand. God, I mean, trust me. Try being Mets Jets or Matt's Royals are tanking right now. It's It could be worse, my friend. 
What is your opinion on drafting kickers versus chancing UDFAs, given the apparently extreme flukiness of the position? I'm with them all the way. I don't don't draft mm-hmm. kickers. No. If you use There's like no a way. if you use like a sixth or a seventh round pick, that's fine. Okay, look at it like this. The Jets got Jason Myers off the scrap heap this year. And he's making field goals consistently from he made a 50 55 yard, a couple 52 plus yarders this year. 55, 54. He's kicking at a 94% rate. He got him off the scrap heap. It you don't have to like you don't need to trade him up in the second round to take a kicker. Hello, no. Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Oh my god. Uh, it's I, it's a fluky position. Only- you only draft guys who are like like Michael Dixon, the punter for Seattle. Yes. Yep. Draft him. Uh, but no, I would bring in three UDFAs and have a, a workout or a tryout. And OK, we're going to sign the best one. I, I, it's just it is too fluky. I wouldn't I wouldn't draft. So there would have to be a guy like speaking of Aguayo. This is something that's always bothered me. He did not kick well his last year at Florida State. He did not. But people will be like, oh, that's the most accurate kicker in college football history. But he wasn't. It was just this lie that got spread. That he was the most accurate kicker. Kicker he, he, he really wasn't. It was like fake news about a kicker. And I have I still have no idea how they drafted a I'll, kicker. I'll never forget you and Sims grading that pick on the desk. And you give it an F and Sims gives it a K for kicker. I don't grade kickers. That's yeah, what you guys like, thought of that pick. That was great. Uh, oh, we got that one right. All right. Second question <laughs> from Joshua Engler. Given you can trade coaches, are there any general managers worth trading for? Oh, That's hell a yeah. Tough question. Yeah. Chris Ballard. Yeah. I mean, he's man. the man. Um, I think Veach has made yeah. good decisions. I think um Bill Belichick. Bill, that guy, Bill <laughs> Belichick. Even I, I know the combination of Pete Carroll and John Schneider are right. work together really as GMs together. I know Carroll's the coach, but he really has a big say in personnel as well. Um it, there's a what lot about of Howie. Yeah, I mean, he's had a he's taken some shit this year too. Yeah, uh, not deservingly so. They've kind of fallen apart because of injuries, but I, I man, think Howie's pretty good. I'll tell you what, I think Will McClay doesn't get enough love. Down oh, to I Dallas. agree. That you are absolutely right, and that's one that he'll probably never leave because he's so taken care of there, and he doesn't like he's the GM, but he's not. You know, so he doesn't have to take all the shit that a GM would. But man, like getting Amari Cooper. Looks pretty pretty smart right now. And they're, even uh, their draft picks, that defense is built through the draft. Yeah. Vander Esch, Jalen Smith, Demarcus Lawrence. I mean, god damn. Like yeah. that pretty good. Not pretty bad. good. That's a that's a fun one. Definitely. Okay. Uh Dan Barnes. What's the one more big score Chris Ballard needs this offseason? Uh, he's gonna win that executive of the year trophy, so he's gonna need a bigger shelf, uh, that's for sure. I, I think they need to uh, continue to address the offense. Like you got Andrew Luck back and he's playing at, I mean, almost MVP levels. Good. Uh, I don't know that this will ever be a team that will draft or pay a running back super early. I would look at the receivers. Um, this scheme works so well with tight ends. I mean, they've made Eric Ebron look good. It, it'll it work well with receivers too. like give Frank Reich some guys he can work with at receiver. I think that's, you know, they're probably drafted in the, the early twenties unless they make a run. That's where these receivers are probably coming off the board. So try to figure that out and get Andrew Luck like a reliable big body. What do you say to the Colts fans that are banging the table for Le'Veon Bell? Why? I agree. I wouldn't. I really wouldn't. And I I have jumped 
on the table to to say draft Saquon Bark- Barkley earlier or draft Fournette or draft Todd Gurley. There, I would not pay Le'Veon Bell $14, 15000000 million a year. He's going to want probably a five-year contract. There's just no way. He's going to be 27 years old next season. It's just not worth it to me. When you can, and I think Ballard, Dodds, Rex Hogan, I think they're a good enough front office. They can go find a guy. Get Henderson from Memphis. Get Montgomery from Iowa State. If Rodney Anderson checks out of Oklahoma, get him. Like, And they have some decent pieces there with Marlon Mack, Naheem Hines. They don't need that, you know, game busting type type running back, excuse me, that Le'Veon Bell would be, nor do they need that that salary cap burden because you know that the defense has played well this year. They they still have some holes to fill there too where they might want to pay someone. Yeah, I'm with you there. I don't think you need to really hit on some splash free agency signing. Maybe you explore the trade market a little bit to get some value because you have so many picks. But like here, thought, here's the one that I've brought up to you, and I, I just want to hammer this home. One of their second round picks, since they have a couple for AJ Green. Uh, yeah, if, if he's, he's healthy. healthy. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that was scary. Uh, yeah, so just saying. I love when we're on the same page. Uh, I would also, I mean, I would try to get Julio Jones if we're, That's if we're trading for receivers. That's but Yeah, I mean, why not try it and see? Um, it, we just saw Khalil Mack and Amari Cooper get traded. You know, like crazier things have happened than than what we've seen. And, and to get an A.J. Green or Julio Jones, yeah, I, I would definitely make that call. And, you know, Ballard's not afraid to trade. Um, I, I, I know nothing about any connection here, but I have to think they're going to be one of the teams that tries to figure out this Kareem hunt situation. You I know, and like completely agree. I mean, Ballard was in Kansas city when he was drafted. Everyone knows that, that, you know, he is the type of a front office guy who would give a player a second chance. And, you know, there's a, a lot, of, there's a mess with Kareem hunt right now. Rightfully. So it once Ballard, that all gets yeah. cleared out, like cleared up and, you know, it, Whatever punishment needs to be served is served. Like if he's suspended, not suspended. Let's see what happens with that. I would not be surprised if the Colts were the team that took a shot. Ballard was a part of the group that drafted Tyreek Hill, wasn't yeah. he? And Marcus Peters. Yeah. I mean, so he will he will swing for the fences, man. Like he'll take the risk. Yeah, so. exactly. And and this might not be fair, but in Indianapolis, you're not going to have the media circus that you would if. If he went to a New York team, totally, you know, it's like you can go hide in Indianapolis and, and not as much as gonna be made about it. Why do you think he passed on jets interviews and took the indie job? Yeah. (laughs) Interesting, right? All right. Woodmaster 5,000. That's a great Tylen. That is a great name. Tylen Wallace thoughts. So Tylen Wallace uh, receiver (laughs) at Oklahoma state. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Great year. Yeah. He tore apart. Texas was named second team. All American. Uh, he's only, a, I think he's only a true sophomore, so not draft eligible yet, but I'm excited by his development. I mean, he had to step up this year. Oklahoma state lost all those guys in last year's draft. Uh, so he steps up, becomes a playmaker for them. And I'm excited to see, I, I think, you know, he runs a beautiful back shoulder fade out. He tracks the ball. Well, I think he plays a lot bigger. He's six foot one eighty five. dude plays much bigger than that. He has excellent reach. And yeah, he tore apart a very good Texas secondary. So he is someone to watch. Um, it, we've said before that 2020 wide receiver class is freakishly deep, and he's a good part of that. Joe Tuzio is wondering, with Bortles likely gone, do the Jaguars go for a veteran like Teddy Bridgewater or take a chance in the draft like Haskins or Locke? They had the chance at Teddy Bridgewater for not much in the summer, and they were not interested. So... I don't know if they changed their mind on that now. 
I do think you have to tie somebody like Haskins or Herbert to them because they should be picking in the top 10. They right. do need a quarterback. Uh, Drew Locke, I'm going to let Matt run away with this one because this is his favorite. <laughs> this is not only his favorite quarterback, it's his favorite topic. Yeah, I think Drew Locke has a lot to prove. And uh, I know people ask me all the time, how can you like Josh Allen and not Drew Locke? I don't know how many different ways to say not this. The same. Not the same. Drew Locke has NFL talent around him, running back, tight end. Wide receiver. The offensive line was good. Josh Allen did not have that much. And and I think with Josh, again, we saw him senior bowl combine pro day improve his mechanics to erase some of the concerns about his accuracy. Also, he is a fan. Josh Allen is a fantastic runner. He is a great athlete. I compared him to Cam Newton. Like this guy can he can run the ball and you're seeing that in Buffalo. And he's he is their offense. Drew Locke is not that kind of athlete. He does have a big arm. I, Jacksonville has never taken my advice as far as quarterbacks go. So who knows? They could draft Drew Locke. I think that's a much better destination for Justin Herbert or Dwayne Haskins. And I would. I would be linking those guys uh, to Jacksonville uh, as soon as they declare. Dude, it is crazy. Josh Allen had, in his last three games has 99, 135, 101 rushing yards. Yeah. He's averaging like over 100 rushing yards a game his last three games. I don't know why his athleticism got downplayed so much. I mean, he was a fantastic athlete. I remember the first time I watched him in person was against Iowa. And I mean, he ran like 80 yards to get away from four pass rushers. It was a horrible throw, but you're like, holy shit, this guy's a great athlete. I mean, he ran a 4.75 at 240 pounds. He's a fantastic athlete. And we're seeing that. So I don't think Drew Locke is, is that kind of guy. Next question from maybe the best username I've ever seen. Darn Zingus. <laughs> Darn yeah, Zingus. He asked me a ton of Jets questions. And this one is a Jets question for you. Considering the Jets use their first on an offensive tackle or, or edge, what wide receivers could fall to round two that they might be able to trade Leonard Williams or package their two thirds to move up for? Oh, man, he does listen to you talking about trading Leonard Williams. Yeah, he definitely does, which I I definitely appreciate. All right, so when you look at wide receivers on day two, it's going to get really interesting. I I think somebody in that class, as the Jets look for more red zone help for Sam Darnold, is J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. He's someone, depending how he runs, he might be sitting there at the top of round three or late round two. Um, You know who I would love? Who is that? Anthony Johnson from Buffalo. Another day two guy. He's a day two guy. Okay, I would love Colin Johnson because if he comes out, he's 6'6", 220, and, and what he does best is you know to just be physical and, and be a post-up receiver. But realistically speaking, like Whiteside or Anthony Johnson, are, they're the guys who fill that role of being a big body who can you know post up a little bit, be physical in the red zone. And, and with Anthony Johnson, I think you get a pretty good deep threat as well. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I think there are some interesting options. I mean, Matt, you were really high on Sam Darnold coming out. We've seen a, a lot of really nice plays from him, you know, in the return against a good defense in Buffalo. Quincy Anoon was probably going to get extended and be back. I know that they, you know, both sides have been talking. I, I do think they get that one done around eight or $10 million per year. Robbie Anderson will be here next year. Very good deep threat. What do you think is that third wide receiver piece for a guy like Darnold where it, his you know, ability to improvise and timing is so key? Are you putting Robbie in the slot? Is that no? Like, keep him on the outside. Keep him on. Well, then I would look at. I mean, why not look at a slot? Debo Samuel from South Carolina. That's my favorite option. Someone who can make plays after the catch. I hope that. 
uh, Lil Jordan Humphrey does not come out from Texas because I think he might be a third round or maybe day three pick, depending on how he runs. But a six foot four, 220 pound slot would be interesting. My favorite pick, like I will become a Jets fan if this happens. Andy Isabella. Like, give me that four, three speed underneath with Sam Darnold all day, man. Oh my God. That would open things up so much in that offense, uh, especially if they can ever like figure if I don't know if it's me Herndon, but if they could ever figure out the tight end position, like and have it done and nailed that offense would be so explosive. I would love to be sitting on the desk day three with you and Mello when the jets use one of their, you know, Mike McCagney just stockpiles yeah. two things. He stockpiles sixth round picks and coffee. That's the two things he said. <laughs> backpacks. Eric H wants to know what are the draft outlooks for a North Dakota state players such as Easton stick, Robbie Grimsley, Jabril Cox and Bruce Anderson. Yeah. I, you know, man, I think we were all uh, really excited about those guys early in the year. Talked and, about them thought, on the summer thought that they could be, you know, kind of breakout players. Um, realistically, I don't think any of them are, are priority picks. We're probably going to see them all as, you know, day three to UDFA type guys. You're not getting the buzz from Easton stick. You know, he's not a senior bowl guy. Um, Rodney Anderson uh, or Bruce Anderson, excuse me, was probably my highest ranked of them all headed into the year. There really hasn't been that buzz for him. I know something Mello says all the time. It's like, you know, as a prospect, you need some hype. You know, you, you got to have some buzz. And with these guys, they, they just had a fantastic year. Their head coach just got hired by K-State, but they really haven't had that buzz out there. So I think that's something where they're going to have to dominate, you know, at a shrine game, at an NFLPA game to try to, you know, give themselves that buzz to where they're going to get a deeper look and, and hopefully get combine invites. Yeah, I think Anderson is the guy that interests me the most just because we've seen running backs at really any level of competition find success at the next level, especially big playbacks. And I think while he's a smaller guy, he does have some big play to his game. So if I had to pick one of the four that I'm excited to watch the coaches film of coming off of last summer's coaches film, it would be Anderson. Yeah. I, I liked him so much last year. Hopefully we get a, another look at him. Daniel Reiner wants to know, and this is for you, Connor, or no, for me, my bad with yesterday's loss to my team, the 49ers is Vance Joseph gone for sure. If so, who do you like to replace him? Here's what's wild about the NFL to me. A week ago, everyone was like, oh, my God, Vance jo Joseph has saved his job. Like, <laughs> they're, they're playing so well. Like, it, he's, they lost to the Niners. He's back. And then you lose to the Niners. You're like, fuck that guy. We he's need a gone. new coach. <laughs> Rip it I down. Mean, they're still in the wild card hunt. And I, I think, man, I, let's be real. If if they finish 8-8, eight and eight, that's a win. No one thought that this team, they picked number five last year in the draft. No one thought that they would be as good as they have been. I could I could still see John Elway saying, you know, we have some exciting things happening here. Bradley Chubb is quietly dominant. Sneaky 12 sacks. Right? Sneaky. The the rookies on offense. You have building blocks there with Philip Lindsay, Cortland Sutton, Deshaun Hamilton. And, you know, yes, the quarterback situation is still I guess inconsistent. You know, Keenum has has been okay. He's definitely been better than what they had before, but like they're they're actually kind of trending in the right direction now. So I could see them keeping Vance Joseph just for consistency's sake. And, you know, like we always say with quarterbacks, everybody wants to replace the quarterback until you realize there aren't any out there. This year's coaching cycle is very much like that. Like, who who would you realistically replace him with? I, I think is one of the keys. And I don't I don't know if people are lining up to work for John Elway right now, even with the the little bit of turnaround we've seen this year. Yeah, I think that's the biggest question mark is what coach can you get in there? 
For a while, this to me felt like the right job for John Harbaugh if he could work with Elway. The Ravens are winning too many football games right now where it's like, okay, we thought Harbaugh would have a parting of ways with Baltimore. I'm not as sold on that anymore. So Alessandro Biosi, I hope I nailed that one. I don't think I did. With the hiring cycle soon to kick off, could we see John Fossil and Brian Dable as names that gain traction? John Fossil? No. That, I wasn't expecting to hear that name. That's a hard knocks one, man. You know, like everybody loves these guys. Yeah, that's true. That's fair. Because I, it, I don't like, think for head coach. No, like Fossil's the man. Like, yeah, he's a totally great he's a great football coach. coach. Uh, you would go with Dave Taub if you were going to hire a special teams coach, though, from Kansas City. Brian Dable's an interesting one. I don't. I just don't really see that one. It feels like the the time kind of passed for that to ever happen. Um, I know that like you know Josh Allen's doing crazy things, and Dable might get some of the credit for that, but. I, I don't know. I mean, he was with Cleveland, Miami, Kansas City, Alabama. He didn't get looks then. Um, oh, and the Patriots. So I, I think more likely than not, he's one of those dudes that'll just stay an offensive coordinator. Yeah, and he's been a solid one. And when you look at Bones, it would be fun if he was a head coach somewhere. I don't even know if he wants that, though. I mean, he was the interim, a little, you yeah. know? Uh, I, you know my thing. Never hire the interim. We always no. talk about all well, the different the T-shirts that we all are going to have. Uh, eventually, you know, Mellow's Feet a Fed Horse. That will be mine. Never hire the interim. because uh, um, It doesn't work, so don't yeah, do it. Well, the Jets hired one with Todd Bowles when he was the interim of the Dolphins, and it's gone swimmingly, to say that. Really least. well. Yeah. Really well. So, all right. Last question from our guy Brandon Albert. Is it possible that both of the Raiders players they traded and Cooper and Mack finish in the top 10 of MVP voting this year? Woo. Man, it's Cooper not won't. insane. He won't, though. He won't, because no, I think won't. he lost too much stats. From yep. the beginning of Oak. Like right now, Amari only has 600 and... Oh, let me combine them. He has about... He's gonna, he's close to 1,000 yards. Yeah. But like he isn't... You know what I mean? It's tough in, in Amari's instance to make up all that time. Khalil Mack, like defenders, the chance of winning MVP is not easy. But top 10, they're in the conversation, which goes to show you something, right? Yeah. I mean, Mack definitely is. You know, he is, he will be in the conversation for Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, he and Aaron Donald, he'll be in the conversation for MVP. Uh, it does go to show it. I think more than, you know, a lot of people want to, you know, kind of poke John Gruden and be like, oh, you don't know how to value players. You traded these guys. I think with Amari Cooper, it's more like, how the hell could you not like get him this production? Like, he's making Dak Prescott look like a franchise quarterback in Dallas. Like, like he might realistically be the guy for them long term now. And he's probably saved Jason Garrett's job. So it's it's wild to me that it's not let's not even talk about oh John Gruden can't value talent. Like John Gruden couldn't scheme an offense. He's supposed to be an offensive genius. And he's getting out coached by Jason fucking Garrett. Like <laughs> that's the craziest thing in the world to me. So that's like that's uh... what just blows my mind. It's funny. And they've been better over <laughs> recent weeks, but like, I just, it, it's a great yeah. point. It's a great point. Like, Amari Cooper could not find his place in that offense, but Dak Prescott, who is a bottom 10 starting quarterback, I'm not a Dak guy. I'm sorry. The Cowboys have been awesome this year, and Dak has What's made some big I plays. I think I am. You know, like, it's one okay. of those things that I haven't really thought about, but, but I think I am. So I, I wanted the Niners to draft him really badly. I love the player in terms of like how tough he is and 
he actually, when he needs to make a play the most, it seems like he comes up kind of clutch for a team that is really riding a defense, run game, all those things. Um, but when you go back to Mario yeah. Cooper, it's just amazing how he's changed it. Not the offense, the entire dynamic of this football team. Yeah, it really has. All right, buddy. That's our show. It was a good one. Hopefully, we appeased all those Raiders fans out That's there. Right. Uh, a lot of Raiders talk. My oldest brother, Mike's a Raiders fan. I'll make sure he listens to this one. It was a good one. So, we will be back Friday morning. Mello and I have a fun show planned for you. There is a lot in the works, guys, as we, we gear up for draft season. Uh, we announced it earlier this week. We're going to be at Draft Picks Taproom in Mobile, Alabama, January, uh, I believe, 21st and 23rd, doing the show live from the Senior Bowl. We've got things in the works for combine we've got things going on for draft week it's going to be a blast so make sure if you haven't already if you're new to stick to football if you've come back hit that subscribe button so you get every show monday wednesday friday for connor this is matt we'll talk to y'all real soon